epistle reading is from the book of Hebrews. It's also the sermon text for today. Chapter 13, verses 7 to 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tents have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. <clears throat> well, we are getting into the last sermon. This is actually the last sermon of Hebrews today. Can you believe it? Seven months. Um, the last full sermon. We, we, we still have the benediction and a couple verses after that to go through, and that'll be the week after Easter when we'll have our uh, resurrection stories. We'll have a, a time of testimony, but also uh, a short homily on those last few verses. Um, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, you are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the author of this word also. Let it pierce our hearts. Let it shape our lives. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. But do that by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, by the way, it, it was, so I was here early and, and kind of started hearing some cheering and forgot the marathon was going past our, our church. And this is the first time, I think, in, uh, like in a long time that it's come through uh, Del Mar down here. And so I hope they do that again. If so, that, uh, you know, maybe we can all go out and cheer next year for, for those runners. So it's just really cool. Um, so Christy and I have been married, I don't know, 24 years now, um, yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's not our anniversary or anything, I'm just, <laughs> just, just, just hearkening back. Uh, we used to love to hike, remember that? <laughs> we used to love to hike. In fact, we went hiking in the mountains of North Carolina uh, for our honeymoon. And even when, uh, when we were living in Tennessee, we used to just love to go to our favorite spots and hike. Got to know more about trails and 
more about what to look for. And if you do much hiking, you're aware of how these trails are marked. They use paint on, on the trees, and, and uh, sometimes they use different color paint if a trail intersects or, or runs along another trail. And if you're colorblind like me, it can be troublesome. Um, but Christy's not colorblind, so I, I was always able to stay where we needed to stay. Um, but sometimes when we're out, if, you, if you're going on a trail, you don't see a marking for a while. You could be walking and, and, and realize, hey, we haven't seen a, a mark in a while. I, I wonder if we're on the right trail. Or sometimes you're, you're, you're in this meadow area and there's no trees and they couldn't mark it anywhere. And in fact, if, if, it's, uh, uh, if it's been a real lush time of year with a lot of rain, you might see more growth and, and you can't really find the path. And so you're looking around to see if you get off, uh, off trail a little bit, you're looking and, and you're seeing a worn area in that meadow. And it tells you, okay, that's the path. That looks like a path that's been traveled. Let's go. Let's keep going. And sometimes while we're hiking, though, we're told to stay on the path because the trails really are designed, first of all, to get us to where we're going, but also to keep us safe. Sometimes you'll see signs in certain parts that'll say, stay on the trail, because there are hazards. There might be poison ivy, hot lava, or quicksand, or something. There could be something that you could fall into, or some kind of hazard that can, that can hurt you. So you're told to stay on the trail. And I guess as I've been looking at this passage this week, what I've been seeing is the writer kind of giving us an image of a path. As he's closing out this chapter and closing out his sermon... He's giving us things to do. Chris did a great job preaching on these last week at the, at the first part of chapter 13. And the last verse of that, chapter 6, said, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? If we're in Christ, what can man do to me? And now he's saying, if you are in Christ, you are on a new journey. You're on a new path. Anytime when you come to Christ, if you've come to Christ through Judaism, through some other religion, or through no belief at all, you are set. Your life is set on a new path. And the path that he's painting here for us today is, is he's showing us three things here in this, and it's, he's showing us that this is a proven path. It's a proven path. Next, he's showing us that it's the only path. And third... He's showing us that it's a difficult path. So it's a proven path, the only path, and a difficult path. We're going to start in verse 7 this morning. <clears throat> and verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You notice in this sentence there's three verbs. So we want to look at those verbs and see what these verbs are telling us to do, what the author is telling the Hebrews to do here. Now, he used this word remember not long ago in, in chapter 13 in Chris's sermon last week. And it's remember those who are in prison, those who are in prison because of the faith. And Chris preached on that. It's don't forget these brothers and sisters who have been persecuted, who have been thrown into prison. Don't forget them. Minister to them. Pray for them. But this is used a little differently here. This word, remember your leaders. <clears throat> First of all, notice this sounds a little bit like chapter 11. When he's calling to mind all those saints who went before us in their great faith. And he named them all because we all know their names. They all knew them well. But these, these are leaders that he doesn't give any names. These are ones who have gone before them. Ones who have 
not necessarily we're pastors. This word for leaders really is more of a generic word for leaders. It's not the word for pastors. So it's those who have led them and spoke the word of God to them, who taught them. Back in chapter 6, it refers to those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Think upon them. Remember them. Look back. God calls us to do this a lot. Back in Deuteronomy, for instance, he says to the the nation of Israel as they're in the wilderness, he says in chapter 17, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. Do you remember that? The Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. He calls us to remember because we're forgetful. Because fear overtakes us sometimes and we forget what God is capable of doing. We forget what our faith is about. He told, he told the Hebrews way back in chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation was declared, by, it was declared to us first by the Lord. It's like the Lord blazed the trail first. He carved that path. But it was attested to us by those who heard. It was blazed by the Lord and it was attested to, the, to those who heard. Those, after it was blazed by the Lord, the others that went before us continued on that path. Keeping it, keeping it trampled down so that we could see. He told them in chapter 10 also, remember where you were when you were accepting the plundering of your property with joy. Remember that. Remember the strength of your faith to where when you were suffering persecution, you accepted it with joy. Remember that. Because we're forgetful. And not only is he saying to remember, he's saying to consider That kind of goes off of remember. It's not only remember, but consider. This is more of a word of mindfulness. Be mindful. Reflect, observe. This word was also used of Paul in Acts 17 when he was in Athens and and going and looking at all the statues and and he was observing them and he happened to see that there was one to an unknown God. You remember that story? He took time to look and observe and reflect. And he used it in a sermon. He took time to reflect and think about it. Consider. It's interesting, when you're looking on a path, when he's telling us to remember, to look back, when you're looking on a path, you're actually looking back when you're looking ahead because you're seeing that it's been worn by many feet, that the path is there because many have traveled on it throughout the years. The more worn down that path is, the more it's been tested, the more it's been proven He's saying to look at that path. Look at the path ahead of you. It's been worn. It's well-worn by those who have maintained their faith in Christ. Those who have gone ahead of us. Then he says this. Not only remember, not only consider them, but imitate them. Imitate their walk. Follow in their steps. See their footprints on that path and follow in those footsteps. What does that look like, practically speaking, for us, you think? 
Well, it could be setting our minds on things that matter. Reminding ourselves that those who've gone before us, those who are our examples who went before us, think about the ones in your own life. What's nice about this is there's no names attached to these. Who are those giants of faith in your life who drove you in your faith, who encouraged you, who influenced you? If you read a biography of anybody in our faith, any great missionary, any great preacher, whoever it is, they were all influenced. They had somebody going before them who was encouraging them, who was influencing them, who was comforting them when they were, when they were suffering, when they were hurting, but showing and demonstrating the faith of Christ and that he was provable and attesting to that faith as they went on. Who is that in your life? Sometimes when, when, when I think about considering, setting our mind on these things, I think about how much our minds are robbed of the things of Christ in our culture. I think about the things that, that rob my own mind of the things of Christ. There are days that, that, that I will, when I'm some of my more disciplined days, when I will spend time pushing out the other things, pushing out the things that, that don't matter to the gospel. Maybe I'll listen to different music. Maybe I'll listen to Andrew Peterson, which is really on my heart right now. Um, maybe instead of watching some show, maybe I will, like I did yesterday, watch a biography on somebody like Corey Ten Boom or, or uh, Billy Graham or somebody. And maybe I'll listen to a book, or maybe I'll listen to scripture, or maybe I'll spend more time reading scripture, spending more time in prayer. See what that does to your day. See what that does when you consider, because those are things that I was taught. Those were things that people who were what I consider great people of the faith in my life, that's what I witnessed. That's what I was taught. And when I follow in those footsteps, I'm drawn closer to Christ. Before you think that this scripture or I am saying to do exactly what those people did. John Owen puts this in good perspective. John Owen, great Puritan preacher, he says this, We are not to follow mere men, not even the best of men, as our model and example in all things is Christ alone. But we could learn to emulate Christian graces where we see them displayed in Christian leaders. Consider those things. The path of Christ, the path that Christ has put us on is a proven path that will never change. And he reminds us of that. He comes off in verse 8 and says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Kind of seems out of the blue that he says this, but he says, imitate their faith. And if you connect that faith with Jesus Christ, you could say imitate their faith that is in Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, never changing. That faith is solid because the one in whom we have faith is solid and will never change, unshakable. And that is what he's calling us to. But he's also calling us to walk in this path because it's the only path. It's the only path to eternal life. It is the only path to walk on. So, he says in verse 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. He's calling them as he's been throughout this sermon, throughout this text, 
to not stray, to be careful, not to drift away, as he said back in chapter 2. Not to fall away, as he said in chapter 6. Not to reject Christ. Be careful not to drift off this path because it's dangerous. There are hazards. And if you drift off the path, there is no other way of salvation. There's no other life. Makes me think when I see this, why do we stray off? If this is the only path, why do we stray off? Well, why were they straying off? Why were they tempted to stray off? Fear. They were afraid of persecution. They were afraid of that perhaps Christ wasn't enough. Perhaps where they were, perhaps the priests, the Jewish priests who were talking to them and wooing them back, maybe they were thinking, maybe this, maybe we do need to, to offer sacrifices. Because I just can't imagine that I'm enough. <laughs> that Christ did everything and I don't have to do anything. Sometimes it looks easier. Sometimes there's something that looks more attractive. Sometimes there's something that just looks more practical. Sometimes we're, we're tempted to stray because we want to please somebody else. And sometimes the gospel path just doesn't seem to make sense in the midst of all we're going through. We're tempted to stray. And I'd refer back to point one. That's why we need to continue to remember those who went before us, those who went through those hard things, those who endured suffering, and those who maintained their faith and continued walking that path. Paul reminds the Colossians, this is not just something for, for the Hebrew church, but Paul is using this language all the time. He says in Colossians 2, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way. He is the only way, the only path. And he goes on to elaborate on this, why we shouldn't stray. Verse 10, he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Well, let me, let me clear that up a little bit. We have an altar or a sacrifice, could be another word for that. We have a sacrifice from which those who serve the old covenant, the tabernacle in the wilderness, they have no right to eat. Why don't they have a right to eat? Because they don't trust the sacrifice of Christ. They can't partake of Christ and of idols. Verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So, you know, the, the, the priests would, would eat part of the sacrifice. But there were, left, there was, there were things left over. There were some of the organs and, and bones and other things. Those were taken outside the camp, outside the tabernacle, outside the holy place to be burned, to be consumed by the fire. And it says, verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He also suffered outside in the cursed place. He became a curse for us outside the tabernacle. He was crucified outside of Jerusalem, outside of the temple. Why? In order to sanctify, to set apart or to purify his people through his own blood. 
He's saying is the sacrifices of the tabernacle are no longer effective because the old covenant is now obsolete, as he reminded us in chapter 8. But you see, we get this. I think we understand this because we're tempted. We want to offer something for ourselves. Remember, I quoted Martin Luther back a few, uh, a few months ago in his Galatians commentary where he said there is nothing, not one thing that we have to offer, not one thing that we can do beyond what Christ has already done. It is faith and faith alone. This is a significant aspect of our faith. It's believing that we need nothing else. It's foundational to our faith. So I really understand this because last night we went to this really nice gala for our school, for our kids' school. And I guess I could walk away. I'm using this microphone. So, and, um, so a few weeks ago we got this email from a family who invited us to come to this gala at Four Seasons. It was very nice. And we would not have gone. It, it, you know, it's pretty expensive and, and um, you know, Saturday night, so I didn't want to go out on Saturday night. But they invited us, and th th this family paid for a table and invited us and a few other families and a teacher's family all to come and join. He said, come and sit at the VIP table with us and join us. You don't have to do anything, just come. You can enjoy a VIP time about an hour before the, the meal, and we went, and we just had a great time. It was very nice. But on the way, we had this conversation, because you're thinking, first of all, we don't know these people at all. We really don't. Our kids are friends, but we don't know them. And we're thinking, should we offer them something? You know, I feel like we should offer them something, you know. And, and we were talking about that, and, and we came to realize, no, we shouldn't. Because he invited us. The Father invited us. They said, please come. But the thing is, you still want to do something. But if we kept offering him money, if we kept offering him a payment, it would be offensive. He didn't want anything. He wanted us to come, sit, visit, get to know them, and enjoy ourselves. So, but it made me think of what I want to do with Christ sometimes. I don't want to accept everything that he has done. I sometimes want to do something else. I want to give something else up. I want to put more restrictions on myself to please him for the purpose of earning something. Maybe find some way to punish myself for the punishment that he already took upon himself. You ever feel like that? That you feel like maybe you need to take some of the punishment yourself? But that's not necessary because he paid it in full. He took our punishment completely. We don't need to beat ourselves up, but what we need to do, as he says in verse 13, is now let us go outside the camp, let us go outside the tabernacle to the cursed place to the one who died for us and received that sacrifice. To go outside and bear the reproach he endured. Think of the reproach he endured as cursed on the cross. We don't have to do anything to try to earn this, but when we go to him, we will run into suffering. He promised us that. We will be persecuted. We will run into times of suffering. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to produce it. It will happen if we cling closely enough to Christ. It will happen, but he's saying it's worth it.
for the Hebrews, it was going to be very difficult for them to go outside the camp. It was going to be very difficult to shun the Jews who were calling them to come back. And they were going to have their own form of suffering by going outside the camp and going to Christ. Going to a sacrifice and a high priest that they did not approve, that the Jewish officials did not approve. And in 14, he reminds us of where this path is going. He says, for here we have no lasting city. We have no lasting city here. Keep moving on the path, because the path that we are seeking, the path that we're walking on is going towards a city that is to come. The promise of God that he has put before us. So therefore, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You know what we finally did last night after that dinner? We said, thank you. That was really kind. And we had a great time. Thank you for paying for us. Let's do this again. <laughs> they were very gracious. And it was something that we were, we were happy to do, just say thank you. Do not neglect to do good. How do we thank the Lord? How do we offer these sacrifices of praise? You notice the sacrificial language here, the sacrifice that the, that the author is calling us to here is a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know why? Because that's saying, thank you, because I couldn't have done this myself. I have nothing to offer. Instead of groveling in that, offering praise and thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And how do we put feet to those thanks, to that thanksgiving? Don't neglect to do good. Don't neglect to share what you have. Do you know, we left last night. We go to, uh, we're, we're, we're driving down. I see a guy begging for money. Drove right past him. That kind of hit me after I did. Somebody just paid for our entire meal and everything else. Offer up thanks. Don't neglect to do good. Don't neglect to share what you have. For you want a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. May God make us a, a thankful congregation. May he remind us and convict us when we neglect to do good, when we neglect to share what we have so freely been given because Christ so freely gave himself for us. So as we're thanking God, the author reminds us that this path is also a difficult path. May I say, a difficult text. Because the next thing he says now, notice he, he mentions leaders a lot in this. Three times in chapter 13. Chapter 7 was, was, was easier to preach because it was talking about leaders in the past. Those that, that, that I admire and look up to. Now he's saying about the leaders who are currently alive in your fellowship. He says to obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, thankfully, there's not a period there. Because what we have to acknowledge is that there's so much baggage associated with, that, with both of those words, to obey and to submit. 
Some of you probably have a very difficult time even hearing those words come from the pulpit. But they're not coming from the pulpit. They're coming from the Word of God. But I understand the pain. I understand that these words are not easy to hear because of the, the abuses that have happened in the church and families. Things have been uh, neglected and abused. But what I like is that there's a comma after this. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they are keeping watch over your souls. How are they doing that? As those who will give an account. Now, I think that qualifies some things. It makes me very nervous. Um... <clears throat> For one, some of you know this story, but, but I was one of those who was done with church leadership nine years ago, literally had it with church leaders and wanted nothing to do with it because of an experience I went through. Not only that, but I was, I was also experiencing friends who were going through the same things. It was, I, I never had this happen. Two, three friends in, in, in this area going through similar experiences. And I became very bitter and very tired of church leadership and didn't want to trust or believe or follow anybody who was in church leadership anymore. I got tired of hearing people say, well, the church is run by broken people. That doesn't help. I know that. You know that. But yet we still have this passage in front of us, don't we? And what do we do with it? Well, we let it probe our hearts. And we ask the Lord to do what he will with it. One thing I will say is that when we came to Grace and Peace in 2013, reluctantly, we experienced for the first time for me, something I hadn't experienced in a long time. A pastor, actually pastors, who were dead set on caring for my soul and for my wife's. And boy, that gave us hope. And I praise God for Kurt and for Thurman. Kurt spent the most time with us pursuing us, seeking us out, not letting us run away. So as I get ready to preach this today, I'm thinking, <laughs> how am I doing that? I would gladly follow Kurt. But this is coming to us. It's coming to us who are here now. 
looking at our leaders who are here right now. But what it reminds me of is that perhaps I've fallen off track a little bit. Because I think there are some pitfalls here that happen not only for leaders, but also for the congregation. We have pitfalls for the leaders. Number one, leaders, we as leaders, we can forget or simply neglect the call that is on our lives. And unfortunately, we can put the role over the responsibility. I was watching the movie Glory with Matthew Broderick, Denzel Washington, and uh, Morgan Freeman. And there was, there was a scene, it was about the 54th uh, um, Battalion in, in the Civil War, the first African-American battalion in the Civil War. And there, there was a scene where Matthew Broderick, who was the commander of the battalion, came to Morgan Freeman's character, I forget his name, um, but he made him a major of that battalion. And Morgan Freeman's character leaned over and he said, Sir, I don't want this. And Matthew Broderick said, I know exactly what you mean. They understood the responsibility. What he was saying is this is calling for something greater than I'm capable of and I don't want it. But I'll say also, this is not just addressing pastors. As I said, this is a general term for, for leader. But he's calling on the leaders of the church. But the primary call that we have is to keep watch over the souls of our church. Why? Because we're going to give an account. It's a greater responsibility. And it's scary. So, as we pursue this call of leading, of leading our church, of leading our families, uh, of discipling one another, let's remember the call in our lives. Though our call is to care for those souls as ones who will give an account, keeping us on the path when they start veering off, going after them. And by the way, John Calvin says this about 1317. He says, this speaks only of those leaders who faithfully perform their office, for they have nothing but the title, who use the title of pastors for the purpose of destroying the church. If you're just going around with your title and your role, you shouldn't be obeyed, if that's all you got. And if I ever do that, turn me away. Okay, I think I said enough about that. The only thing I will say is this. Is that this has reminded me that as we move forward, as we talk about what this church is going to be in the next few years, this is really grace and peace. This is you as you, as you think through what the vision of grace and peace is going to be. I think vision, I, I, I know there's some pushback on what vision is and, and whether we should have a written vision, but let me, just, let me just suggest this, okay? Let's just forget about everything outside. 
But I would encourage you strongly to have a vision that soul care is number one. The function of the church and its leaders. Caring for the souls of the congregation. Now if we just keep it there, that's our value. But I would encourage us to have a plan. How are we going to do that? Think about that. You have a plan about how we're going to do that, then that informs the ministries that we have. It informs the things that we do. It informs how we conduct our music, our service, our, our, our whatever else we do. But if it's not a vision that we have written down, if it's not something that we come to agreement on, this is what we're going to do, it will fizzle. Because we're broken, imperfect humans. But let's encourage one another to bring soul care, caring for one another, for our children, for, our, for, our, for everybody in this, in this congregation, that we would care for one another and have a plan on how to care for one another. And continues in verse 17. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's just make it easy on each other as possible. Caring for one another, loving one another, understanding one another. And I know it said 17, but I'm going to go to 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let us be praying for one another. Pray for our leadership here at Grace and Peace, our session, our deacons, our officers, our, our, our ministry leaders. For me, all of those who are in leadership, prayer group leaders, let us be praying for one another. Pray for one another that we may have a clear conscience and that we may act honorably in all that we do. And may our Lord give us a vision to keep us on the path of Christ. That we may listen well, that we may lead well, that we may care for one another and walk this path together and together seek that city which is to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the city which is to come. Thank you for the promise. Oh, most of all, thank you for your mercy that picks us up, that mends our brokenness. And Lord, help us to walk in that mercy. Help us to walk on the path of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.